If you want to get out your Bibles and turn to Matthew 5, we'll be there in just a few minutes, Matthew 5. Good to see you this morning. We do have visitors here. We want you to know you're especially welcomed here, uh, that if we can help you in any way, we hope you'll let us know. If you have any questions about anything that we do here, uh, we're happy to get together and study with you and talk with you about those things. We've been going through the book of Matthew uh, to try to understand the message of Matthew and how Matthew is revealing to us the life of Jesus so that we can understand more about our Lord. Uh, And we've gotten into the Sermon on the Mount now in Matthew chapter 5. And as we've been studying through this, we've been seeing how uh, the kingdom of heaven, how the people in the kingdom will look, uh, the characteristics of those who are in the kingdom and, and what they are to the world as they are salt and light to the world. And now we've started to look at what they do. And last week we talked about uh, them exceeding the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees by keeping the law in a greater way than the scribes and Pharisees ever kept the law. Remember, uh, we, we, we looked at that and saw uh, how many commandments we're supposed to keep. Uh, remember, there's 603 in the old and 1,050 in the new. And, and Jesus says, uh, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments, talking about the old commandments, Old Testament commandments, uh, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. So how many Old Testament commandments are we supposed to keep? All of them. And we looked at that and we said, well, uh, He wants us to keep them, but not the way the Jews kept them. It's not about going back to the Old Testament and keeping each of these individual laws in the way that the Jews did, uh, because it turns out the Jews tried to do that and they failed miserably. But it's about going back into the Old Testament and understanding what those laws were all about and making sure that we're keeping the intention of those laws. Whenever we look at the Old Testament and we look at the Bible in general, we think about how are we going to keep these commandments. This is something that's on our minds. But uh, one thing that is so important as we open up God's Word, especially in the Old Testament, is that the Jews failed to do this. This is a big message in all of the Old Testament that the Jews are are failing to keep the commandments that God gives to His people. They do this over and over again. Now they have spiritual leaders that rise up. Moses rises up. He's a great spiritual leader. Joshua, uh, you've got David, you've got Hezekiah, you've got Josiah. You've got these great religious, uh, spiritually focused leaders that, that lead the people and seem to help with things. But over and over again, the people, turn back to rebelling against the commandments of God. So how are we going to be sure that as we look at the commandments, as Jesus is about to tell us in this section, the section that we're about to go through, how are we going to be sure that we are keeping these commandments? One thing that that I, I think is important for us to remember is that the Jews in the Old Testament were very religious. Okay, They were very religious people. They, they thought they loved the Lord. They thought they loved uh, each other. They thought they were doing the right things. And what we see is they were not what God wanted them to be. Josiah had just been reigning in the book of Jeremiah. He had just been reigning uh, probably 20 years prior to Jeremiah, uh, writing a lot of the things that he says. And he was a good king, and he found the law, and he taught the people, and the people were keeping the law and doing what the law said. And then we get to Jeremiah, and Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 18, 18, uh, this is what they were saying about Jeremiah. Come, let us make plots against Jeremiah. 
For the law shall not perish from the priest, nor counsel from the wise, nor the word from the prophet. Come, let us strike him with a tongue, and let us not pay attention to any of his words. So you've got the people of God, the Jews, in the Old Testament, knowing the law. It was just given to them by Josiah not too long ago. And then they now have come to this determination that here's a, here's a prophet of God, but he must be a liar. And we're not going to listen to him because we have uh, the, 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 the priest, we have the wise, we have the prophet, we have the law, the law, we have the rules, and we understand them, and we know them, and we're keeping them. And so they completely reject Jeremiah, who is God's prophet, and comes and tells them they're not keeping the commandments like they're supposed to. And they just they start speaking evil against them. Their obedience is always external in the Old Testament. And as, we've been, as we looked at last time, a kind of a brief summary of the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, what we see Jesus doing is pointing beyond the external and into the internal, into the heart. And as we study this section, it would be easy for us to gloss over these things and think about externally, yeah, everybody's doing this, we're okay, but I want us to get into the heart. To think about our hearts. Because this rebellion of the people against God's messenger, against the word of God coming from his prophet, turns into attempts to murder Jeremiah. Eventually, they get so angry with Jeremiah as he tells them, the Babylonians are going to come in and wipe you out. Submit to the Babylonians. God will destroy the temple. God will take you off into captivity if you keep rebelling. And they didn't listen, and they instead thought, I'm good, I'm religious, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. Be quiet, Jeremiah. Don't, get into my, don't meddle in my heart business. This is the way they responded. So as we look at the things that we're going to look at in the next few weeks, I really wanted to preface it with this understanding that Jesus is pointing to our hearts. And that if we just try to take this and, and, and go about our way thinking everything's okay without really evaluating our hearts, then we're missing the point of this message. And we don't want to do that. Start with me in Matthew 5, 21. Here Jesus says... You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Here Jesus starts to bring in the law. He's just said, not a dot, not a tittle of the law will pass away until all is accomplished. Don't relax any of the laws. Uh, Be more righteous than the scribes and Pharisees. And now he points to a teaching of the Pharisees saying, you have heard that it was said, you shall not murder, and those who murder are liable to to judgment. Now, is there anything wrong with this teaching that Jesus is pointing to? Absolutely not. This is very clearly one of the Ten Commandments. You shall not murder, and we are not going to say that it's okay to murder. This is something that the Jews at that time would have been brought up hearing over and over again. We cannot murder people. If we murder people, we are liable to judgment. God will judge us like He did them in the, in the Old Testament at the time of Jeremiah, and we'll be taken off into captivity again if we rebel by murdering. But then Jesus continues in verse 22 and he says, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel. And whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. 
Jesus says, But I say to you, anger and insulting people makes you liable to judgment. He's comparing murder, which is, makes you liable to judgment, to anger, which also makes you liable to judgment. Do we see how serious this is? Do we see what he's saying here? Well, where does Jesus get this idea that anger is a problem, that anger makes you liable to judgment? That seems like a huge step, Jesus. How did you go from murder to anger? And, and are you serious about this? Well, it turns out that in the Old Testament, God had commanded people not to be angry with one another, just like He commanded people not to murder. You go back to Leviticus, our favorite book in the Old Testament. Leviticus 19, verses 17 through 18. Listen to this. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord." We see God commanded His people from the very beginning to maintain relationships with one another, to not have hatred in their heart toward their brother, to not uh, seek vengeance against their brother. God has always had this mentality that His people will not hate one another, but they will love one another and be reconciled to one another. It was that way in the Old Testament. So here, Jesus is saying, you have heard it was said, you shall not murder... And, and you're not hearing anything about being angry. But I say to you, God expects you to keep the murder command as well as don't hate your brother. I expect you to keep all of the law. That's how your righteousness will exceed those of the scribes and the Pharisees. You will keep it all. Wow. Don't we typically tend to compare sins... <laughs> And we say, murder is the greater sin, and anger is a smaller sin, so therefore, it's okay with God if we get angry, but I'm not murdering. It's not like I killed anybody, God. Don't, don't hold my anger against me. I mean, this is the way we, we act, the way we think. Yet, Jesus says, the one who is angry, the one who insults his brother, is liable to judgment, to counsel, into the hell of fire. Wow. Why is this so important to Jesus? Why does He care so much about us being angry with one another? Well, this goes against our mission. Anger goes against our mission. Our mission is to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And as we go out into the world, if we are getting angry with people, if we are vengeful, if we're hating people and acting against them and, and insulting them, it's not helping the cause at all. It's not helping the kingdom to grow. We're not accomplishing what we think we're accomplishing. James said this in James chapter 1, verse 19, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word 
which is able to save your souls. The thoughts that come into our mind when we get angry will not produce the righteousness of God. This is not going to make us into salt and light for the world. Now we think it will. As we're getting angry and we're getting spooled up, we're going to fix people. And we're going to make everything right. But James says it correctly. We're not accomplishing what we think we're accomplishing here. Our anger will never produce the righteousness of God. They will not see the righteousness of God inside of us if we become angry with them. Instead, we're liable for judgment, for counsel, and for the hell of fire. That is not what we want. It's the opposite of what we're hoping for. Now, as I said, we struggle to believe this. This is so important for Jesus to point out to us because realistically... We struggle with this idea that just being angry with somebody is that big of a deal. I mean, after all, it's in my DNA. My dad was a hothead. My brother's a hothead. I got to be a hothead. This is the way life is for me. You don't, you don't understand. Some people have this passive disposition and some of us are just really hot-headed. Uh, you know, you don't understand. And, and really, everybody gets angry, right? So, so it's no big deal. God understands. We're just humans. We get angry. Some of us might even say, sometimes it's good to be angry. As I've preached this before, I've made this kind of statement. Sometimes it's good to be angry. You know, it's a, it's a natural human emotion, and, and we see Jesus get angry. And I started thinking about that a little bit. And I really struggle with this, because really, I'm going to say... That because I see Jesus get angry and his anger is righteous, absolutely, he's not sinning. That I have the ability to get angry and control myself and not sin when I'm angry? Do I really believe that's true? Well, if I look at myself and I look at my life and the times I've gotten angry... It is not righteous anger. That is not true. And I'm using this to justify my anger. I'm struggling to believe it because I don't want to believe it because I like being angry with people because it makes me feel better. These are things we tell ourselves that are just not true. We're tearing people down all around us. We're tearing down their confidence in themselves, their confidence in us, and their confidence in God as we lash out at them to hurt them with our anger. And we're justifying it because Jesus was angry. We are not Jesus. I know that we want to say that we can do it, but we can't. Be real with ourselves. We must be real with ourselves that, that we can't do this. Look at Moses himself. Moses, what does he do? He gets angry with the people and he strikes the rock. And that's it. You're not going to the promised land. It's serious. It's serious. We must give it the weight it deserves. Because anger ultimately leads to broken relationships. This is why he says it's so important. Look at verse 23. So if you are offering the gift at the altar, and there remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. 
First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Now, Jesus does something amazing here. He kind of switches to this scene of us coming to worship God, to offer up our sacrifice to God. And there at the, at the altar as we're about to offer our sacrifice, we remember that someone has something against us. Now, he doesn't elaborate on this. We don't really know why someone has something against us. But based on what he just said, we can assume... I have lashed out and hurt my brother in anger. I have, I have been hate, hate, hateful toward my brother. I have been vengeful toward my brother. I have done something to offend my brother. And therefore, there is now sin that I am guilty of. And God says, I don't want your sacrifice. The relationship that you have with your brother is broken. Therefore, the relationship you have with me is broken. First, go to your brother and be reconciled, and then come to me. We see how important this is. That our anger leads to a broken relationship, not just between our brother, but also between us and God. Our heart has been tainted by the hatred that we feel inside of us. Jesus doesn't just say to forgive them. He says, be reconciled to them. You see this in Matthew 18. If, if a brother sins against you, you go to them and you tell them their sin and you be reconciled. And here you see, if you sinned against your brother, you go to them and you, you confess your sin and you ask for their forgiveness and you seek reconciliation. We're seeking forgiveness. We're seeking to be reconciled. Now, there may be cases where people refuse to be reconciled to you and you do your best, but... Overall, we must seek that reconciliation before we approach the throne of God. Well, we hear all this and we understand we need to overcome this. We need to overcome our anger. Maybe there's some of us here who hear all this and say, I don't understand how this is ever going to happen. <laughs> I mean, really. How am I ever going to overcome this struggle. I mean, I've overcome major vices in the past, but anger? I mean, whenever bad things happen, whenever we're stressed, whenever, uh, whenever we're discouraged, and everything seems to be going the wrong way, don't we feel like we have to be angry? Don't we feel enslaved to anger, like it just has to come out of us sometimes? Someone has treated us in a way that we don't deserve to be treated. Someone has taken advantage of us. Someone has lashed out against us and hurt us deeper than, than if they were to hit us. They cut us deeper than we deserve. Than we deserve. You might say, you don't know what someone's done against me. I have every right to be angry with them. But what we read in Scripture is that Jesus has come to set us free from anger. He's come to set us free from anger. In Galatians 5, we have uh, Christ for freedom. Christ has set us free. And then He describes all these works of the flesh. And in the midst of the works of the flesh, He says, fits of anger. In the midst of them. And He says, all who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He's come to set us free from those things, to create in us a new heart and a new spirit 
that is showing the fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the gentleness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the self-control. These are all things that go against anger. And this is what He expects to see in us. He He has come to give us forgiveness. God is not angry with us, so now we must not be angry with our neighbor. Does God have a right to be angry with us? Absolutely, He has a right to be angry with us. He has a right to be angry with those who crucified His Son, yet He does not send down fire from heaven and scorch the earth. Imagine Him doing that. Him getting angry like we get angry. And Him deciding to lash out on the one who offends Him. How many of us are getting burned up? <laughs> well, there goes John. <laughs> I guess he was thinking lustful thoughts. Or, you know, I mean, how, how often would that take place? God is patient with us. God is loving toward us. He does not easily get angry with us. He loves us. He seeks reconciliation with us. And He expects that to transform our hearts to become people who love one another and seek reconciliation with each other. And so we need to grow in this area. And, and Leviticus tells us what we should do. Whenever these events take place where someone has done something to offend us, it tells us to reason frankly with your neighbor. We need to develop the skill and the ability to speak openly to one another when they have done something that we see is, is wrong. And it may be we're making assumptions and that we're not even right in the things that we're seeing, that that's not their intent at all. They didn't even mean to say or do those things, and we've gotten angry for no reason. It may be that's the case. We need to reason frankly with one another with love and a desire for reconciliation in our hearts. That is what we're looking for in our lives, that that we're looking for that to grow inside of us. And that does not happen overnight, but that happens over time. That we see anger not as medicine, but as poison. And as as we experience life, this is the way we view anger, that it is poisonous to our relationships. I don't know how many of us in here are married, but... I'll tell you what, I did not really learn how to overcome anger or that I was even an angry person until I got married. I mean, the first few years of marriage were rough. And this is what happens whenever you marry someone and you don't really know who they are. I mean, anybody who's married, you know, you didn't really know that person until you move in with that person. And then you're around them all the time and you kind of, you, you get a sense that this was not what you signed up for. Uh, the dating facade uh, is gone, right? It's no more. Nobody can maintain the dating facade. So now we see who the person really is. And it's not what we expected, And so people do things that they ought not do. First few years of our marriage, there's many times when I looked at myself and said, I am a psychopath. (laughs) I am insane. What is wrong with me? And there's times when I've looked at Jenna and said, you are a psychopath. What is wrong with you? I mean, we just, we go through this and we figure out that, that we're angry people, that we've got anger issues. And we start to learn to relate to one another, to reason with love toward one another. We understand anger doesn't help anything. 
It makes it worse. We use anger as a way to correct our spouse and it ends up making us more distant and hurting our relationship, taking away love rather than adding love. And you can apply this upon any relationship. It works the same way with our neighbor, with our, our co-worker, that if we use anger to try to correct or to get our way, we create distance in the relationship rather than building love for one another. That would come if we just reason frankly. Tell you what, uh, I got my bachelor's degree with marriage on how to manage anger, and I think I got my master's degree with children uh, on how to manage anger. You got a two-year-old, and you see them doing their temper tantrums, and you start to understand a little bit more about what's going on inside of us when we get angry. We, we throw our temper tantrums inside of our heart, inside of our mind. We may not roll around on the ground and cry because I didn't get to touch the hot stove, but we're angry about things that make about that much sense sometimes. And we learn things about ourselves that we never knew. We learn that the more angry we are, the less humble we really are. We have an attitude, a mind, that I am superior to you. I know that you are foolish, and I am not foolish. I have never been foolish like you are foolish right now. And you deserve punishment for your foolishness, though I don't, because I've been actually foolish all these times. This is the way we act and the way we think. So we need to develop our understanding and make sure that we, we have the right perspective on anger. That, that God does not want to see anger inside of us. And as we see it welling up inside of us, you know, we've got a reservoir that starts to build up. And the world says, you've got to let that stuff out. It's going to kill you. And you know what the truth is? We've got to let it out. But they say let it out by venting your anger and lashing out on people. And the Bible says, let it out by letting go. And forgiving people. And this is what we must do. It is, it is possible and it is healthy to let go of whatever it is we're holding against our brother. To forgive them and to love them for who they are. To understand, I've made, I've made plenty of mistakes in my life. God has forgiven me, not punishing me for my sins, but forgiven me. And I can do this for someone else. This takes growth and maturity and understanding the grace that God has poured out on us. As I said, this is not going to be something that happens overnight, but we realize we understand the seriousness of anger. And we pursue a life without anger. And every time I become anger, angry and I lash out against my wife, my children, my, my neighbor, my coworker, whoever it is, I, I mourn my sin. I mourn what I've done. And I ask God to give me more patience. And if I feel those feelings welling up in me and I develop the, the ability to hold those things back and not lash out because I know it's going to do more damage than good, I have to learn to let those things go. Pray to God, ask for help, let those things go, and speak very rationally and caring and lovingly to my brother, to my sister, and show them the love that God has shown me. If anybody here this morning has not received the love that God has offered to those of us who are in Christ, uh, God 
has desired to reconcile with you. He understands what you've done. He understands the way that you've lived and the choices that you've made. And he understands, he wants you to understand that he loves you anyway. And he wants to forgive all those things and make you his child to live with him forever. Uh, If you know what you need to do, please come as we stand and sing. Let's pray. Dear God, Father in heaven, we're so thankful for this day that you've given us, allowing each of us to come here to worship you. Lord, we're so thankful for the lesson that Casey presented before us. We pray that 